Hello, Brendan. I have a question for you. Do you think we can go the entire show today without a mention of the Pac-12? No, you just mentioned the Pac-12. <laughs> After this cold open, do you think we can okay. go the entire show? Mm. This means I no. don't know. Does this mean we can't mention an opponent um, that played? Like if we mention Team A and they happen to have a win over a team from the Pac-12, would that be considered uh, violating the rule? I mean, why would we do that if we want to talk about how that's their best win and they have a bad tournament resume because their only win is against a, a good Pac-12, quote-unquote good Pac-12 team? Maybe they yeah. have a loss to like a Pac-12 ooh, team and that's ooh, what's yeah. killing their resume. Yeah. I think we can do it if we apply ourselves. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> as you know, uh, we both are living in New York. We're both from the East Coast. 80% of the country lives in the Central or Eastern time zone. So if even if we spent... Uh, 80% of the podcast talking about Eastern Central teams, that would probably be fair. But considering the quality of basketball on, in the Pac-12 and even the Mountain West, save Nevada, it really is only worth talking about the West Coast Conference this year. Yeah, I mean, people wonder why there's an East Coast bias. It's because because the numbers you just said. The entire country lives in the eastern half of the country. So calm down, everybody, if you want. Why the games? Why everyone talks about New York teams and Chicago teams and all the teams on the East Coast? It's fine. <laughs> the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Well, welcome to the 12th episode of the Bonus Podcast uh, with your hosts, uh, Tom Borstein. I'm Brendan DeRocher. Um, this is our 12th episode, uh, which means, uh, I don't know what anniversary that is. It's probably like... Um, like cotton or um, or um, zinc or something, but um, you can celebrate. You, if you want to send us gifts? Out. Yeah, I have a year and four months, three months. If you um, if you want to send us gifts of zinc or cotton, you can send them uh, via email. Uh, we can redeem them via email, maybe an Amazon gift card to um, doublebonuspod at gmail com, or you can tweet at us at. Uh, at Double Bonus Pod, you can go to our website doublebonuspod.com, or you can rate, subscribe, review, uh, you know, listen at um, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes or Spotify or Google Play Music or the Podbean. Uh, so, Tom, uh, how are you doing? How are you on this uh, fine Monday evening? Doing great. First big Monday of the year. Uh, by the way, the traditional 12th anniversary gifts are silk and linen. So, mm-hmm. no cotton, just mm-hmm. please send us silk and linen. Uh, to mm-hmm. double bonus pod. Silk so, is not vegan, which is what something that I I guess I knew, but I never thought about it. Silk is not vegan. Yeah. So well, that's okay. You can still send it. <laughs> Neither of us is a vegan, so you can send it to us. We're fine with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm doing well. I'm ready for the Kansas game later tonight, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's a busy week of college basketball after a busy weekend, also. Yeah, my weekend of college basketball, I pretty much avoided the sport after the game that we'll, I guess, talk about later, the uh, infamous Providence-Georgetown game, one of probably the 10 worst, most disappointing uh, ends to a game that I've rooted for for Providence in you know 30 years of rooting for them. So uh, we'll get there. Um, maybe maybe Tom can find ways to, uh, to cheer me up between now and then. I hope so. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's start with um, our first uh, segment, which is called Six is Good, where each each of us come up with three topics to discuss. Um, and we'll start with Tom. What do you got? Well, Mississippi, after being picked last in the SEC uh, preseason poll, is off to a 3-0 and start. They have two quality wins 
over Auburn this past week, and then at Mississippi State on Saturday. They had just five SEC wins last season, and they're really coming on strong under Kermit Davis Jr. Of course, Kermit Davis Sr. coached at Mississippi State, but it's his first year here. He took over after Andy Kennedy left midseason last year. They have looked really good. This is a team that really didn't get any new recruits, and Kermit Davis Jr. just comes in. They're off to a 3-0 start. Um, one caveat, I'm not going to call them Ole Miss because the origins of that name are a little sketchy and probably racist, so we're going to stick with Mississippi on the double bonus pod. Um, but they've been really, really good in the start of the SEC season. Obviously, Tennessee is probably the class of the SEC, but I really like what I've seen out of Mississippi. They shut down Auburn on Wednesday. They forced 10 first-half turnovers, 16 in the game. They really took care of an Auburn offense. That was uh, is 10th in the nation in Ken Palm. They held them to just point. Eight, nine points per possession. And then on Saturday, they went on the road to Starkville and they took care of Mississippi State. And they've had a different player uh, really lead them on offense the last three, three games. Brian Tyree versus Vanderbilt, their first game. Vanderbilt's obviously not very good. Then Terrence Davis at 27 versus Auburn and he added 12 rebounds. And Blake Hinson was leading score against Mississippi State. So it's really been an impressive turnaround for a Mississippi team, and they're probably going to make the NCAA tournament, and they're in a, we've had a pretty tough start to their SEC schedule, and yet they're 3-0. So I've been very impressed with them uh, in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, Kermit Davis, this is his first season after going being at Middle Tennessee State since 2003. He, he was there for 16 seasons. Um, he ended his time there really uh, strong. After, I, I guess it was his first 10 seasons, they had some good teams, but didn't make the NCAA tournament. Um, made the first four as an at-large team in 2013, and then after two years of not making the tournament, despite finishing tied for first um, in that first year with Middle Tennessee, they made the round of 32 for two straight years, including a win, wins over different Big Ten teams. First, it was Michigan State in that famous 15-2 upset of Denzel Valentine, where many people thought Michigan State should have been a one seed. They were one of the favorites to win the NCAA tournament, and they lost um, on that Friday afternoon. And then the following season, um, it was a Thursday in the early window. They beat uh, Minnesota and Richard Pitino's team in a 12-cup-5 game, and that was his best team there. Interesting career for uh, Kermit Davis. I'm looking at it right now. He, um, In his first year as the head coach at Idaho, he reached the NCAA tournament. They were had identical 25-6 and records in 88-89 and 89-90, um, and 13-3 and conference records, and they lost in the first round of the tournament. Then he immediately got the job at Texas A&M, um, where they finished 8-21 and 2-14, and, and, and he was fired after one season, um, or left after one season, I guess. Um, and then he spent five years as an assistant or head coach at Chipola Junior College and then Utah State before returning to Idaho for one season, and then he became an assistant for five more seasons. Um, and then he's had this great run at Middle Tennessee, uh, Middle Tennessee State, I guess I'm in Middle Tennessee now, and, but he wasn't given a chance at a head coaching job again after that short stint at A&M, but now is back in the SEC, well, he wasn't in the SEC, A&M's in the SEC now, they were Southwest Conference then. Um, in Middle Tennessee, he had Giddy Potts, one of the great names in college basketball, and a couple of his really good teams there. Um, this year... The names aren't as interesting, but uh, the performances have been really good, especially of late. Their first two tough matchups were um, at Butler, where they lost, and then neutral against Cincinnati, where they lost in double, by double digits in that one. Um, they were actually leading that game early, but lost. Um, but other than that, the conference schedule was pretty friendly. They played a decent San Diego team. They won a neutral site game against Baylor. Um, and now they've... Uh, jumped into conference play with three straight wins and they have two winnable games yeah. at home this week against LSU and Arkansas. And then they go on to Alabama and then they play Iowa State at home in an SEC uh, Big 12 Challenge game 
And then the next game that Ken Palm predicts them to lose is at Florida on January 30th at the end of the month. So they've really had a good start. I do think Brian Tyree is a pretty good name for a college basketball player. Uh, um, KJ Buffin, not too bad either. Not quite the level you mentioned, but Brian Tyree is a pretty good name, and he's having a great year. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say they have no good names on this team. What, what are the odds that Devontae Shuler is the son of um, former Tennessee great and I think former uh, representative out of uh... – uh, the South, Heath Schuler. Any any thoughts on that? Uh, probably slim, but okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> my first one uh, to talk about is was from Thursday night. Um, Marquette played Creighton at Creighton, and um, and so my experience watching this game was uh, so. I had taped the Northwestern Iowa game, and I taped the Marquette Creighton game. I watched the Western Iowa game first, even though it was a later game, and I happened to see at one point uh, a score, an overtime score between Marquette and Creighton. I avoided the score the rest of the way, and then when I watched the Marquette Creighton game on Friday morning, I, um, you know, watching, watching, fast forwarding a little bit, but watching, I got to the point where I was like, how does this game go to overtime? Creighton has the ball with 0.3 seconds left. Um, it's, it's, it's like, what could have happened? Like, I was confused. I thought maybe I misread it or there was some kind of malfunction with the score ticker. Um, and then we saw an inbounds pass that uh, inexplicably does not touch a Creighton player. So Marquette gets the ball on their own baseline. Yes, 0.8 seconds to go. They're in mind of the ball in the road. 0.8 seconds. Oh, it's 0.8? 0.8, yeah. It was 0.8 seconds to go. They're in mind under their own basket. And they throw the ball the length of the court trying to end the game. But no one touches the ball, mm-hmm. so it's a violation. And the ball gets inbound in the same spot, which was then under Marquette, the basket Marquette's shooting at. Correct. The inbound goes to uh, Sam Hauser, who makes the three-pointer at the buzzer. It, it looks, I mean, pretty clearly from some photos, at least, that the ball was still in his hand when it was uh, triple zeros. What do you what do you think about that one? I mean, he went up to catch the ball, came down, went up again, and shot the ball. And he did that. We're supposed to believe that he did that all in point eight tenths of a second. I don't think he did it. There's a USA Today photo where, um, first of all, there's some great reactions in the stands. Uh, people hands on or head in hands or hands on head or just like, you know, hands on cheeks. It's amazing. But there's almost no chance he got this ball off in time. If you told me, like, what are the odds that if you just watch the catch without the clock, did you do that in 0.8 seconds? I would say no chance. And I think they called it good on the court and they didn't have a great uh, shot of the replay, so they had to say keep the call on the court, which we can get into in a second. But I, there's no chance I think he got the ball off on time. Well, you know that that reaction in the stands when with the hands on the head, um, and I think one of them, the most prominent one, would be it might be a Marquette fan. Um, oh yeah, there's. They often guy. call that the surrender cobra, which I think is a pretty uh, a pretty good name for that. Um, one thing I want to note: this game was uh, announced by uh, by CBS's uh, CBS Sports Network game, Brent Stover and Bob Wenzel, and um, Bob Wenzel's brother is involved <laughs> in um, in telephone like servicing and technology for businesses. And I once he once basically replaced my phone and serviced my phone. I had his business card. Uh, um, he he sounds a lot like Bob Wenzel, and he's, he's highly competent and no complaints. Uh, very professional. <laughs> Um, but I did once meet Bob Wenzel's son in my office. Son or brother? Sorry, not son, brother. Brother okay. in my office. Um, and uh, that's my Bob Wenzel story. Um, <laughs> What's his name? But I forget his name. Okay. I, good um, 
I have to go through my wallet, maybe. I might still have the nice card in my wallet. Um, but in this game, this was considered the number one biggest comeback of the season, according to Ken Palm, the, most, the least likely comeback of the season. It was like 0.1% likely uh, when Marquette, when Crane had the ball uh, up three with 0.8 seconds left. Um, Marcus Howard had another 50-point game, 53 points, uh, made 10 of 14 three-pointers, had nine turnovers, um, had a had a, uh, a usage rating of 50%, which is like... Truly doing maybe, it all. Maybe the highest I've ever seen, actually, in like a, a guy who played a lot of the game. He played 43 of the 45 minutes. Uh, Marquette's offense is really good. Creighton's offense is really good. This is like ideal kind of viewing experience, and it was close. It went to overtime, had a controversial uh, call as well. So it had to be one of the most interesting games of the season. But Marquette moved to two and one in conference, and they then won their next game against Seton Hall at home in a close game. And now they're three and one, their second place in the Big East. Creighton won its first conference game at Providence, but has now lost three straight after losing to Villanova at home over the weekend. Is now one and three, tied for eighth in the conference, only ahead of winless Providence um, in the league. In a league that still looks pretty balanced, but we do see maybe a little bit of an opening where Mar- Villanova and Marquette are at the top, um, and then it's muddled after that. Uh, Villanova and Marquette uh, getting double round robin in the Big East. Villanova and Marquette play uh, at Marquette February 9th. And then the follow-up matchup is February 27th um, at Villanova. Any other thoughts on the Big East? Well, I'll say one thing. St. John's had a really bad loss without Shamori Pond, so had some lower back tightness. They lost their second straight game. They lost uh, to Villanova in a close game on Tuesday and lost at home to DePaul on Saturday. Um, not a good loss for a team that doesn't have a lot of good wins yet. Um, and so... Yeah, they have definitely taken a step back from uh, Marquette and Villanova, I think, in most people's minds. And uh, right now they're prepared to go 9-9 and in, in the Big East by uh, Ken Palm, which might not be enough to get him in the, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so in, in defense of Ken Palm's win probability model, I don't think he factors in the officials awarding shots that are not good, as this one by Hauser uh, was. But back to, actually, I want to say something about this, because they encourage the officials to call these shots good on the court, err on the shot of call, calling them good. And, but then they tell you you need incontrovertible evidence to overturn a, a call on the court, which doesn't make sense if you're skewing, you're basically skewing the the call on the court to err on the, on one side, and then you're making it almost impossible to overturn it in a situation like this. And so I think they really need to change either don't tell, just tell the officials call it as you see it, and we'll take a look on replay, or just do, move to a different standard on replay, maybe what we would call in what you would call in civil court the preponderance of the evidence. You know, is it mm-hmm. more likely or not than that it was not in not off in time? And I think anyone watching the replay would say, I think the announcers, Stover and Wenzel, were even saying, I don't think he got it off in time. But I think they followed the regulations properly and called it right because they couldn't see for sure. But I just think it's a little weird. They do it in the NFL too. They say, uh, don't call the player down, like let the play run out. But then you're more likely to get, then you call it a fumble, but it might not be a fumble. And it's just a whole mess. And I think they should just, first of all, less replay is more. And uh, if you're going to have one standard on the court, you need to make it consistent and replay. So, so uh, this is like a directive from like uh, Dan Gavin in the NCAA to make the to err towards the side of calling it good on on the floor. Is that what you're saying? I feel I feel like it is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like why would you want to not? I don't know. I just feel like why would you not call it good? Why would they call that shot good no matter what? Why don't they just say why don't we just say we'll look at it no matter what? Why would you have to make that call? There's a buzzer beater. There's no possible. Uh, there's no. You can just say, "Hold on, we'll take a look." You don't even have to call anything. The game's yeah, over. I, the buzzer. I guess I'm not a fan of not calling anything, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've now had two 
calls. Um, this one far less controversial, just because it was a much harder call. Right. They, uh, really decide. Well, not quite decide. This one didn't really decide. Neither one of them decided a game, but they they were basically were one play removed from deciding the game. And St. John's got the, a loss at Seton Hall because of a really what was a pretty obvious bad call or an inadvertent whistle, whatever you want to call it. And on um, right before New Year's, and then now we have Marquette. Um, it happening to, for Marquette against Creighton. You know, I've seen some stuff on on Twitter. Is that you know I follow the Big East really closely and a, a lot of different accounts. That is like, what is going on with the Big East officially to change the officials? Like these are the same officials that officiate like all the other conferences. It's not like yeah. the Big East has its own set of officials. Like they're, I, I'm sure if you looked at who did the game that night, and I can actually do this, <laughs> they probably did like a, a Big Ten game the previous night. You know, um, Bo Borowski. Oh yeah, that guy does like every game. Um, Ron Groover, who are rate second and third in the country, which means they do like the the highest profile games. Um, so, but Bo Borowski, the day after he did the Marquette game, he did Michigan, Illinois, then he did Maryland, Indiana, then he did Paul St. John's. Um, so regardless, I mean, they're doing a lot of games and he did, he did Colorado Air Force beforehand. And then this is ridiculous, actually. Let's, um, so consecutive days, he did Fort, Col- Fort Collins, Colorado, <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska, Champaign, Illinois, College Park, Maryland, and Jamaica, New York. Um, uh, Ron Groover, who um, had the record uh, for this season, the most consecutive games where he did uh, did games. A, a trip that took him from um, Thursday, November 8th, all the way through Sunday, November 25th. Literally the game every single day. Uh, and started in Kentucky, that's... went went all the way to the Cayman Islands, then all the way to Nevada, and then back to Virginia. And that's over Thanksgiving too, of course. Yeah. Um, and so he did, the, the night before the Marquette game, he was doing Kentucky-Texas A&M. The night after the Marquette game, he did the Cincinnati-Tulsa game. I actually watched that game, an overtime game that, there as well. And then the next, he had a day off, and they did Texas Tech-Texas, and then he did Dayton-UMass. So he went he went Kentucky, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, and Ohio with one day off. But the point is, the point I'm making is, it's not Big East officiating. There's nothing the Big East can do to make these officials not have controversial calls and the games that happen to be really close. These guys are doing A-10 in Conference USA and Big and Big 12 and SEC and Big 10 games. It's not like these are like exclusively Big East officials. It's just where they are in the region at the time, and they're trying to get the best officials possible. In this game, they had, you know, according to the way Kempom rates it, which is basically the games, the, the, the referees do the games involving the best teams are, pro- are probably the best refs. Um, they're number two and three in the country. So, yeah, I mean, this is a tough job. It's not as hard as people think, but it's a really tough job. And they work a lot, and they're going to miss calls, but just have to do everything possible to get, minimize it and not have them really be really egregious like that Cedar Hall St. John's game. Yeah. Um, Mike Roberts actually took two days off uh, between the Marquette game and the he did Duke Florida State on Saturday. I could, I could look at this thing forever. He's losing um, the eye of the tiger. Yeah. He's, yeah. 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 Um, so, what do you got next on your uh, six is good? I got Iowa State. Everyone's singing their praises. They throttled Kansas at home on Saturday a week ago, and then they lose two straight by four combined points. Uh, they lost to um, they lost to they lost to ba- uh, Baylor, and then Kansas State on Saturday. They lost to Baylor on Wednesday. Um, right K State at home too, right? K State at home. Yep, one point game. Texas Tech's the only unbeaten in the Big Twelve now through four games. Um, against Baylor, ISU's defense just did not show up. They gave a 1.12 points per possession to Baylor, which is not good considering how bad Baylor is. They're outside the top 100 in Ken Palm. Um, 
And then against Kansas State, uh, Bruce Weber's team really shut them down. It's just the second time uh, Iowa State been held on at one point per possession all season, the first time since November. Mario Shayok scored just nine points in 38 minutes. They were 23 of 60 from the floor, 6 of 12 from the line. Kansas State's defense is very good. Um, this is a bad loss for Iowa State. They led by 55-48 with 5.02 to go at home and lost the game. Uh, Barry Brown for Kansas State hit the go-ahead layup with four seconds left. And uh, Dean Wade played. Kansas, he had, remember, he had a foot injury, a tendon injury in his foot for Kansas State. He came back, didn't really do anything. He scored two points in 22 minutes. Um, so, yeah, Iowa State, everyone thinks, you know, there might be it might be a three-team race for the Big 12 title, and they go out and lay two, not only two eggs, but they did not play well. And they, you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't lose these slip-up games like this in the Big 12 and want to finish at the top. Like, there are enough tough games coming up that they're not going to, uh, they're not going to be able to, they're going to rue these two losses, especially if they uh, get their act turned around. Yeah, as you were talking, I was th- trying to think back at, um, it feels like a lot of times in the Big 12, a team will knock off Kansas and they'll feel like, and people will say, hey, this maybe this team can be the one to topple Kansas's streaks of a streak of consecutive uh, Big 12 titles, or at least share of Big 12 titles. And um, and I think I feel like it's happened before where teams do this. And I was looking, you know, 2018 is not really a great example because when they lost to Oklahoma, uh, Kansas did January 23rd to drop to six and two. Um, they uh, Oklahoma wasn't really doing that well. Um, but in 2016, we saw it actually happen twice. So Kansas was three and zero in conference and lost to West Virginia. That made West Virginia 4-0 and in conference. People were probably like, whoa, West Virginia, they just beat Kansas. They're undefeated in conference. What did they do? They lost the very next game at Oklahoma, and then they lost the next game at home to, to a mediocre Texas team. That same season, Kansas lost to Iowa State to drop to 5-3. and um, and, at, and at that time, Iowa State also was 5-3 and after the win over Kansas. And what did Iowa State do? They lost the next game to at A&M, which was not a conference game. And then they lost at home to West Virginia. And Kansas, after that Iowa State game, did not lose another Big 12 game the rest of the season, which is ridiculous how good the Big 12 is to like go 11 straight games plus a win over Kentucky. They ran through the Big 12 tournament um, and then really blew out teams in the NCAA tournament before they ran into a, a Villanova team that ended up winning the national title that year. But... Um, you know, I think we've seen this happen before with Kansas. People will be like, is this the year? Could it happen? Um, and then usually it ends up uh, not being the year. And so maybe Texas Tech feels like the one team that maybe this is the year for them. We'll see. When, when do they play, Tom? When does Texas Tech uh, play Kansas, Kansas plays Texas Tech. They have a few more games to go. They play Texas Tech on February 8th in Lawrence. And they return to... February 2nd, I think. Oh, sorry. February, February 2nd. 2nd. Yep. They uh, yeah. read the Ken Palm numbers. The 8th. February 2nd. That's the day before the Super Bowl. In uh, in Lawrence, and they go to Texas Tech on the 23rd. So basically, three weeks later. Um, yeah. So basically, so. the first two conferences we talked about really in depth: the Big East and the SEC. Uh, so Big East and the Big 12. The top two teams that have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the field in these double round robin leagues. They both have some time to go before we get the matchups yeah. we're really looking for. Same thing with the Big Ten. You have uh, Michigan. Michigan State don't play till February either. So there's going to be some big games in the first couple weeks in February that's going to do a lot to determine uh, these conferences. But yeah, I just thought Iowa State had some momentum going. And now you look at their schedule. They actually get Texas Tech on the road next. So they could be looking at three straight conference losses before they get Oklahoma State at home. And then they go back to Kansas already. There's the rematch with Kansas on uh, next week's big Monday. So they got some, uh, yeah, they really are going to, they really may regret these losses, especially the one at home to Kansas State when they were up seven with five minutes to go. 
The thing about Iowa State, too, is they've played the second easiest conference schedule to date, according to Ken Palm. And, and in a double round robin, that's almost entirely going to even out. Obviously, you're not going to play yourself. So if you're good, right. your schedule will be a little bit weaker. But uh, only Texas played an easier schedule this year. Um, Kansas actually played the, the fifth hardest schedule. Um, so if you compare, for instance, Iowa's schedule, which is second easiest to, say, TCU's schedule, at one and two, they played the, the hardest schedule. So Iowa State has played... Uh, at Oklahoma State, home to Kansas. At Baylor, home to Kansas State. That still feels pretty difficult, but I guess right. it's the Big 12. Um, I think Kansas, uh, CCU has played Baylor at home, and then at Kansas and at Oklahoma. It's fine margins. You look down, I'm looking at uh, Iowa State's remaining schedule. They have two games that are unrated, not A or B. That's home to West Virginia, home to Oklahoma State. They have two games that are Bs, home to Texas, home to Baylor, and the rest are A games. So they have, what, 15 mm-hmm. games left? And uh, 11 of them are A games on Ken Palm. So we're really talking about fine margins when it comes to uh, how tough their schedule has been. So everyone's schedule in the Big 12 has been tough and will be tough for the rest of the year. So it's just, you know, that's the way it is. But it's a minefield. And if you want to really, uh, you know, have a shot at being a top, you know, maybe a top four seed in the Big 12 tournament or, you know, running for the title, you really don't want to lose these games. And one thing that makes Kansas so hard to knock off in the Big 12, except for last year, they're almost unbeatable at home. So, like, all these other teams lose games at home. They just don't... But Kansas, until last year, when they lost, I think, three conference games at home, which was ridiculous. Plus Arizona uh, State, right? Uh, yeah, and they lost... They, they played Arizona State, they lost to Washington in Kansas City, and then they um, they lost to Oklahoma State at home. Let's just take a look right now. Oklahoma uh, State, last... Texas Tech, those were the two. No, they lost, they lost two, okay. Yeah. They lost three games at all, to at overall, to uh, at Lawrence. But, um... Yeah, you just Kansas. If they don't, they drop one or two home games t- tops. Like other teams could lose three home games and still be a good year. So, mm. uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think Texas Tech is amazing defensively, and this can be a very interesting uh, Big 12 race. And they have had their little uh, close games, but they still have not lost yet. So, like you'd think maybe they drop one of these tough games. They play that road game at Texas on Saturday, but they came through in that one. Um, they've had some close calls, but they've been able to uh, take care of business. They won at home to Oklahoma. And at home to Kansas State, and they won at uh, West Virginia. So, yeah, they've had, and they've, those have all been pretty close games, all single digits. So they're yeah, uh, 22 they, points for their four wins. Yeah. So season. either they're playing well and they're well coached, or they're a little bit lucky, or a little bit of both. So. Yeah, I was looking at um, the conference-only stats in the Big 12. Uh, again, there's been some in the Big 12. I think Big 12 gets a little bit of short shrift this year. It's the second-rated conference in Ken Palm, barely behind the Big 10. It's been the best-rated conference in Ken Palm for like four or five straight years. Um, and yes, it might not have the top, top teams that the ACC has, or even maybe you could say the, the Big 10 has with Michigan and Michigan State. Um, but top to bottom, it's a really compelling league. So I was looking top half. Only two teams have um, an offense and defense in the top half this year so far. One of them is Iowa State. That's third in offense and fifth in defense. And then one of them is Texas. That's fourth in both. Um, you know, and the, those two teams also had the two easiest schedules this year to date. Uh, again, fine margins, like you said. But uh, I wonder, one wonders whether a team will emerge that could be top half in both. I would suspect that maybe Kansas will be that team, although their offense has struggled so far in conference play. But maybe Iowa State or Texas can be that maybe third dog in the league um, behind um, Kansas and Texas because they may be a little more balanced than like Oklahoma, who's ninth in offense and second in defense. Um, or even the Kansas State team that's last in the offense and sixth in defense. Yeah, we'll see. It's an, always an exciting league. There's a lot of ugly basketball in it, but the games are always close, and there's a lot of uh, 
there's very few bad games. There's probably the lowest percentage of bad games in the league of any league in the country, I would say, any of the major mm-hmm. conferences. Yeah, I mean, the, the Big Ten having a, a better season from Rutgers helps, um, but Illinois still stinks. Um, yeah, let's, let's move on to Gonzaga. That's my number two uh, item. Um, so Gonzaga last week played, uh, the, first of all, they got Geno Crandall and Killian Tilly back, so they're at full strength for the first time all season. Um, and then they played Pacific on Thursday and won 67-36 in just a, like a, it's a weird score, especially for Gonzaga, who usually plays pretty fast pace. And they went to San Francisco in one of their uh, toughest games of the season. Uh, it was very close most of the way. In fact, um, San Francisco was leading with about four minutes to go. Um, they were leading 81-79, which is under four minutes to go. Uh, but uh, Gonzaga finished on a 17-2 run and won by 13. Uh, to move to um, 3-0 in conference in the West Coast Conference, 16-2 overall. Their defense uh, in that game, San Francisco actually played really well offensively, 83 points, 70 possessions. Their defense is now in the top 50. Their offense is still number one overall, and they have the number one uh, two-point shooting offense in the country. They're not three-point reliant, but they can't hit the three. Um, And now they've knocked off the second or third best team in the conference on the road, and they don't have another A game. The West Conference is pretty tough. They have there's a lot of good teams in there, but they're another A game. And again, A is the Ken Palm, basically home road equivalent of a top 50 game. So that you could play a number 70 team on the road, and that might be an A game. And then a B game is 51 to 100. So they they have five more B games, but no A games until the last game of the conference season where they play at St. Mary's. Um, how where are you on the? I know we're not doing a top 25 this week, but where are you on the barometer of Gonzaga as a um, bona fide? national championship contender based on how they bounce back from those back-to-back losses of Tennessee and North Carolina. First of all, it's pronounced thermometer. Second of all, <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm a little skeptical of their defense. Um, if you look at their, they have a lot of games that they've given up over one, well over one point per possession. They did it in their loss to Tennessee. They did it in a loss to an unmentionable team. They did it in a loss to San Francisco. Oh, their win against San Francisco, their win against Duke, they gave up 1.2 points per possession. Uh, they went against Creighton, they gave up 1.21 points per possession, and then they're lost to Carolina, they just got run off the court now, and gave up 1.23 points per possession. So, I'm a little skeptical that when you play, run to a tournament where you're going to have to play a team like Michigan, a team like Duke, a team like Michigan State that's going to be better defensively, um, how they're going to handle this. For a team like Virginia, they could, they could easily be in a regional final against Virginia that's going to be a lockdown defensive team. And what what's how are they going to stop Virginia's offense will be interesting to see. So I am a little skeptical of their defense. But now that they're getting fully healthy, I also think it's not fair to penalize them for a lot of those games because they haven't been fully healthy. They'll get, we'll see how their defensive rotation gets going. Um, they have a decent track record of defense under few. So I am still I still put them in like this tier two of the tournament, the championship contenders. They're not in the they're not in the top. Even if they they may not lose until the tournament, the next loss may be in the elite eight. But I still don't think they're in the top tier of championship contenders. Um, yeah, they're, 30, they're 31.5% according to Ken Palm to go undefeated in conference, and they're picked to go 15 and one. Um, they don't have a game where they're less than 88% chance to win until that St. Mary's game where they're 71%. Um, I will say, you know, Geno Crandall is back, and he provides some depth at guard. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of him. He hasn't played well this year. He doesn't really seem to fit. When I saw him against Duke, he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. He didn't look like he really uh, was fitting into the system or was really a Gonzaga-type player. 
But Killian Tilly is their best hope to um, ease their biggest weakness, which is in the defensive glass. Uh, Tilly is a solid but not spectacular defensive rebounder, but that is the biggest weakness that Gonzaga has. And, but against San Francisco, he, you know, he's still working back into shape, I'm sure. Um, but he did play 22 minutes, and he only had three defensive rebounds, and San Francisco had 15 offensive rebounds, which, is, which was on 35% of all of their opportunities. Uh, you look at teams in um, the NCAA tournament that could really exploit them, and th- those are teams who make, hit the offensive glass pretty hard. And I'm, I'm looking around at some of the better teams in offensive glass who are also highly ranked. Duke is one. Of course, they beat Duke. Uh, Kentucky is another. Um, Auburn is another that's good on the offensive glass. Michigan Florida State. State. Michigan State, you know. Um, so even Purdue might be an interesting matchup. You could see like a 4-1 matchup in the Sweet 16 or a, or a 3-2 matchup in the Sweet 16 with a team like Purdue that has a guard that can score a lot, but they also hurt you on the offensive glass. North Carolina, a team they already lost to, is a good offensive rebounding team. So it feels like they could be potentially bullied. Killian Tilly's a little, little thin. Rui Hachimura is more of a forward than a center. And Brandon Clark, though he's very athletic and is a, is a good shot blocker, is still only about 6'8 or, or so, maybe 6'9". Um, so I don't think height is really a problem, but maybe just brawn in the, um, on the interior that might be preventing them from being a good defensive rebounding team. So we'll see. If Again, it's hard to tell in these games. Um, next three should be pretty easy. They, they get at BYU, San Diego, U, uh, San Francisco, and St. Mary's in, a, in one stretch, which will be pretty difficult, although three of those games are at home at the end of January, beginning of February. Uh, so you're just going to kind of evaluate it game to game and see what you think. Um, you know, against Pacific... Pacific had their worst offensive game in the Ken Palm era, um, lowest points per possession at 0.54. Um, and it was, uh, and at that point, the, the Zags were up to 35th in offensive, in defense until they um, fell back when USF scored 1.2 points per possession in, in that win. They had 22 turnovers and 12 baskets in that game. That is not a good ratio. Pacific? And yeah. then in the, in the, in the USF-Gonzaga um, game, there were, no, there were nine total turnovers the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, Gonzaga doesn't force too many turns, so that's not a great sign for our um, friends from Pacific. But uh, yeah, I mean, Gonzaga is dangerous. And as I, I went through, as you were talking about uh, just their weaknesses, but they Mark Few has a pretty consistent record of being a top 20 defensive team. So I think it may be a little, I may be being a little harsh, uh, given the fact that two of his best players have been on the have been injured for most of the year. So we'll see as he gets his full complement of players, if he can get his defensive system in order. And then they'll be a really, uh, they'll be a really dangerous team. They're going to be dangerous no matter what, because they can beat anybody. I just don't know if they're mm. a true championship, true top flight championship team with the defense well, playing the way it is. Yeah. Going. One correction. Killing Tilly only played 19 minutes, but uh, I said 22. Another correction from like two weeks ago, I said, Jamie Dixon was an assistant under Ben Hallen at UCLA. That's not true. Uh, he left. Oh crap. I blew it. Ah, uh, I mentioned a Pac-12 team. Uh, oh, well. Well, I win. You owe me $20. <laughs> that was the bet, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. But um, so anyway, Jamie Dixon, he he was this assistant under Ben Howland at Pittsburgh when, when Ben Howland left for a, a conference that must not be named any further. <laughs> for, for fear of me losing another $20 to Tom, uh, he became the head coach at Pitt. But uh, Dixon, I'm sure, has heard as much as could be heard for, by anyone about uh, Ben Howland's um, experience in Westwood um, in case he's interested in that St- Steve Alford replacement position. Anyway, what yeah. do you got? I got moving on. Uh, we got North Carolina. Uh, plays its worst game of the year and loses to Louisville at home. They were double-digit favorites in this game, and they ended up losing by a final score of 83-62. They shot horribly. They didn't play particularly good defense. Uh, They looked kind of out of whack. 
otherwise. Um, and this is a North Carolina team that has a very favorable schedule in the ACC as far as who they play, number of times, and where they play them. And they are now, but they get blown out by Louisville at home. Um, this team is taking a while to get going. Luke May was bad. He had nine points, 36 minutes, just three of 14 from the floor. Uh, Naz Little, everyone's wondering why he's not playing more. It's because he's not playing well at all. He was another, he had another bad game, just six points in 19 minutes, two turns to go along with that. Um, and they just, and uh, Louisville's offense had its way with them, scoring 1.17 points per possession. Five out of four guys uh, scored in double figures. Dwayne Sutton at 17, Jordan Nora at 17, and Steve Enoch at 17. So Carolina definitely not right now. looks like in the class of Duke and Virginia, which I know we'll talk about in a second. But uh, I'm a little worried about this Carolina team that we both thought were just going to be right in there for the national title. Um, they have a pretty favorable ACC schedule, but Roy Williams... Uh, has some uh, work to do with this team. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of that first half, especially when I was flipping back and forth during commercial breaks at Providence Georgetown. Um, and Louisville basically couldn't stop scoring, especially the first part of that game. They scored 25 points in the first 10 minutes, and I think made made like their first eight shots or something like that. Um, and you know, it's, it's I had planned to talk about North Carolina if they had won that game because I, I watched very closely the North Carolina North Carolina State game uh, last Tuesday, where the, the Tar Heels played really well and um, and in that game Cameron Johnson was terrific, Kenny Williams was terrific, everyone was shooting well. In this game they only shot three of 22 on three pointers um, and they didn't do a job of starting stopping Louisville's um, offense. That, that .87 for North Carolina on offense that's got to be one of their lowest marks in a long time it's their lowest it ties what they did against kentucky for their lowest of the season 0.872 points per possession i'm looking at last year oh i remember so they they finished against texas a&m with a really bad one that's that's a bad way to end the season they, they were at virginia and lost and scored 49 points and that was a really bad one as well but i remember this game in the uh, in the the two the um phil knight pk80 or whatever they where they only scored 45 points and scored 0.62 two points per possession against Michigan State in an 18-point loss. So they've had some some stinkers. Um, Let's not forget the time they lost to Kansas in the second round of the 2013 tournament, the Jeff Withy era. They scored uh, .80 points per possession. Was that that when um, uh, Kendall Marshall gotten hurt? Was that that game, the game before? Uh, No, that was the year before. That was 2012. They scored .93 points per possession. That was the uh, regional final against Kansas. Okay. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I think right now, um, we'll talk about Duke Virginia in a second. I'm kind of teasing. That's my, that's my last one. But the, the ACC, kind of similarly to the other leagues, well, maybe not quite as much. Uh, well, let's take a look at what Ken Palm has. Um, there's Virginia Tech at 13-5, and five, North Carolina at four, 12 and 12-6, um, kind of one game separating those from Virginia at 14-4 and four, and Duke at 15-3. and three. Uh, Again, I think that's partly due to North Carolina's favorable schedule. Um you know, just to, to clear that up, North Carolina plays Virginia Tech at home, Virginia at home. They have Duke uh, twice, of course, on the road and at home. And then they have their next toughest road game they already played in one was North NC State. So to get Virginia Tech and Virginia both at home, and so basically they play four games against those the next four best teams in the league and have one of them be on the road, and that's the required Duke road game, that's pretty fortuitous scheduling, but they just kind of undid it. If they, they're going to undo it with the losses like this one at home to Louisville. Yeah, well, let's move right into um, the Duke-Virginia. You know, normally, this is this discussion is for, more for recaps, but it feels like uh, you know this is kind of the, the matchup of the two best teams in the country right now. Um, it's coming up next Saturday. 
uh, 6 p.m. Uh, on the on the worldwide leader. Um, it's and you know Duke's only lost once this year in that Gonzaga game. Virginia hasn't lost at all. This week, this weekend, Virginia played uh, Clemson in a game that I thought they were going to actually have some trouble with, um, and they were up big early. Clemson actually came back to make it about a five-point game early in the second half, but um, but they still lost by 20. Um, Virginia's uh, defense is second in the country in Kempom. Their offense is sixth in the country. They're number one in three-point defense, um, and number 20 in two-point defense. They're even number six in free-throw defense, which doesn't seem sustainable. I don't know how you how you can sustain good free throw defense, but I guess maybe Tony Bennett can figure that out. Um, Follow the right guys. But yeah, so they, they have had, um, uh, they've played Florida stay at home in BC and Clemson on the road so far in, uh, in conference play, but now it gets a lot tougher. They play Vatek on Tuesday night uh, in Charlottesville before going to Duke Uh, Duke this weekend. Of course, um, Zion Williamson was injured, left the game at halftime. Uh, and Duke nearly lost to Florida State on the road. People acted like it was this, this big deal. Like, you know, Florida State's really good. Duke has major trouble at Florida State, you know, historically. Um, the fact that they had trouble after losing one of the best players, if not the best player in the country, uh, is not all that surprising. Um, they they trailed uh, by two with seconds to go and ended up winning. Uh, so congratulations to Duke. Um, yeah, wide open three. Yeah. Wide open three by Reddish, I think. So... I don't know how he got wide open. I mean, no. well, we can talk about getting wide open on threes near ends of games in a second, but <laughs> um, but that's the thing about Duke, and I think the interesting matchup between Duke and Virginia is, you know, Duke's big weakness. We talked about Gonzaga's big weakness in defensive glass. Duke's big weakness is um, they also are actually really bad on the on the defensive glass, but they also are a really bad three point shooting team, and they don't take very many of them. But against Florida State, uh, they actually shot it quite well. Um, and I don't know if this is because there was more spacing, spacing without Zion Williamson in there. Uh, that seems a little harsh. You know, I don't think that probably was the reason why. But uh, whatever it was, in a single game, R.J. Barrett had four, hit four of seven. Cam Reddish hit five of eight. Reddish had not been playing well. Um, he'd been really a disappointment um, entering that game. Um, you know, even with that great performance he had where he scored... Uh, 23 points on a, on a 121 O rating. Remember, 100 is about average. He still at only is only at 82.6 O rating in conference, um, despite uh, having one of the highest possession rates in the in the uh, the conference in conference play. Um, so I guess my question to you is: Virginia's defense so good, so well coached. Uh, they play that pack line style that kind of forces you to shoot from the outside, but then they also have the best three point percentage defense in the country. Will Duke's presumed flaw of not being able to hit three-pointers um, ruin them against Virginia on Saturday? I don't think so. Not in Cameron. I think Duke is rightly going to be favored in this game, uh, though they're only up three right now on Syracuse with about six minutes to go in the game. Um, but I think Syracuse uh, hit like a 75-foot shot in that game or 80-foot shot. Yeah, nuts. Um, no, I think Duke will be uh, I think Duke will be okay. This will be the, one of the fastest teams Virginia's seen uh, all year, it's going to be a very interesting contrast in styles because, of course, Virginia plays at a snail's pace and Duke uh, does not. But I do. I mean, this is the type of game that Duke's going to be vulnerable. If they, if if Virginia can make Duke takes the shots that Virginia wants, then Virginia's going to have a chance. But uh, Virginia just not has not seen anybody like this Duke lineup uh, before this year. So it's going to be. It's going to be a tough test to go into Cameron and win this game. I think these teams will split. It's not a huge uh, 
out on a limb projection for me to say that they're going to split their meetings this year. Um, but I think Duke will find a way. They're very good at getting uh, the right two-point shot. Despite not being a good three-point shooting team, um, they still have an EFG of 55.5%, so that's still pretty good. It's 26 in the nation, despite shooting pretty horribly from three and the 200th. So um, they know what they're doing down low, and I think they'll figure out, out a way to win at Cameron. When these two teams played in Cameron last year, in January 27th, um, I watched pretty much that whole game, and uh, this was a game where Duke played mostly zone um, and came back and nearly won it uh, in the second half. They were trailing by, um, they were trailing 32 to 22 at halftime, in a classic Tony Bennett kind of score, but came back and actually took the lead in the second half uh, before losing. In that game, this is a totally different Duke team. Um, that Duke team only had six minutes from their bench total. Javin Delorier had three, and Alex Connell had three, and the rest of the game was played by five players who are no longer there. Grayson Allen, Marvin Bagley, Gary Trent, Trayvon Duval, um, and Wendell Carter. Uh, so there's like basically almost no overlap in minutes in what Virginia will see this year from what they saw last year. Of course, last year's team had Devin Hall and uh, Isaiah Wilkins um, and Nigel Johnson for Virginia, and all those guys are gone. Um, so it's stylistically, there's a lot of similarities, but in terms of, um, and the coaches obviously, and the venue, uh, but this is a de- very different Duke team than the teams we've seen with uh, the freshman every teams we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I'm trying to look at Virginia's schedule to see who would have a front court uh, that could rival Duke's. Maryland, obviously, Bruno Fernando's pretty good. They handled them pretty easily on their well, they won by Jaylen, five. Yeah, they have J- Jalen Smith as well, uh, yeah. a freshman, so they have a good front court. Wisconsin has Ethan Happ, um, yeah. and they also have um, – Re- uh, Nate Reavers, so they were pretty big guys, but not not particularly athletic. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's still a different team. level than uh, what they saw, but they did win at Maryland, and Maryland's getting better by the uh, game, so we'll see. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the No Homers Club, um, a more joyous occasion for uh, my co-host than me this week. Why don't you talk about uh, Kansas before I um, let, let some blood out over the Providence loss? Okay, sure, Brendan. Just uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it as uh, even keeled as possible. But Kansas defeated Baylor 73-68 on Saturday. I'm gonna work backwards. They led 18-2, 10 minutes, 10 and a half minutes into the game. Baylor didn't score its first basket until more than 10 minutes in. They had two free throws. Uh, but then look up. Kansas does not make things easy. It was 22-20. But then Kansas took a 10 half point lead. Um, and then in the second half, uh, Kansas went up big again. Um, and then. Uh, still, Baylor rallied uh, to close it up, and that was actually a pretty close game. Ended up 73-68. Um, Okchai Abaji is a player who Kansas just put on the court on uh, last Wednesday against Oklahoma because against TCU rather, because uh, once Azubuke was out, they they talked about it and they said, "Let's just not redshirt you this year. We're going to play you." So he's a 6-5 wing, uh, very athletic. I hope he can shoot threes from outside because that's something this Kansas team still surely la- uh, sorely lacks. Uh, and surely, great. they surely and lack it. They surely lack it, and they surely lack it. Uh, 17 points uh, in 46 minutes. Um, very athletic. Fran Fischilla is in love with him. He's in love with every player in the Big 12, but he seems very in love with uh, Baji, so that's good for uh, Kansas. Um, it's going to help when they go small now. Um, Azubuki, as good as he was, was definitely getting in Diedrich Lawson's way, even though Diedrich Lawson was helping Azubuki, so it was very confusing, but now Kansas doesn't have to worry about sorting that out anymore. Um, and against Baylor, Kansas finally shot well from three. Uh, they were nine of 16. Of course, six of eight were those from Vic, who played well on his birthday. Uh, LeGerald Vic, that is. So it was a, 
overall encouraging performance against a pretty bad uh, Baylor team, which was playing without its um, best player, um, who was out for the year. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, Taylor, right? Mario Kegler, I think. No, that no that's not who it was. Hold on. I'm drawing a blank now. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, Kansas. Oh, yo, um, Tristan Clark. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was declared out for the game before the uh, for the year before the game. And then uh, the other game Kansas played last week was uh, against TCU. They won that one pretty comfortably at home. It was a yo-yo game where every time they would try to pull away, uh, TCU would come back in. That was just Tedrick Lawson being a monster. He had 31 points, uh, and that was the first game for Abaji. So Kansas needs more out of uh, their backcourt still with Dotson and Grimes still trying to find their sea legs. But um, they're three and one in the Big 12 and. They have Texas at home tonight, actually starting right about now. Um, but they'll be okay. Uh, the the games so just be if they can hold serve and keep up with Texas Tech, uh, that'll be the big questions for them in the next couple weeks. Yeah, it looks like uh, Agbagi. Is that how you pronounce his name? Ag- Ag- Abaji. 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 Okay, Abaji. I yeah, think he, it is. He, yeah, he's a he's a uh, very low usage but uh, efficient player so far he can just kind of be the fifth option and uh, be athletic um, create some space and not uh, kind of taking too many touches away from the guys that uh, Bill Self wants shooting more of the shots maybe he'll grow into something more by the end of the season as well um, so Northwestern lost twice this week they lost a winnable home game against Iowa um, and then they got blown out they actually made it closer than they lost by 20 at, at Michigan but it actually was not that close most of the game. Um, Northwestern was a, didn't play uh, Vic Law, who's their best player. Uh, Vic Law had been struggling some this year um, with a bigger load with Brian McIntosh and Sky Lindsay out, or having graduated. And similar to at Providence, Alpha Diallo replacing uh, a lot of the possessions that uh, Rodney Bullock and Kyron Cartwright had taken in the last couple of years. Both of them had played well most of the year, but in conference play had struggled a bit um, in being efficient. Uh, and now Vic Law is injured, um, and Northwestern is 1-5 in, in conference uh, in uh, 12th place ahead of a winless uh, Illinois and winless Penn State. Um, Northwestern is 12th in the Big Ten play in offensive efficiency and 10th in defensive efficiency, um, and they are not in the top six in any offensive category on offense. They are, however, fifth in offensive rebounding on defense and fourth in three-point shooting defense. So um, the Wildcats are not really in a position anymore to um, make the NCAA tournament. They play at Rutgers on Friday. It's a winnable game, but the uh, you know Rutgers just beat Ohio State, and, and Northwestern is an underdog in that game. Um, you know, the, And then they play home against Indiana, and the, that's probably their easiest two-game stretch until uh, – I mean, they have a stretch with this home against Penn State at Iowa, home against Rutgers, but um, the Iowa game is in the middle there. But, um, yeah. So, Chris Collins' is, uh, late, latest season, a little bit disappointing. I mean, they did lose a lot from last season, but you thought maybe the, the transfers, A.J. Turner and Ryan Taylor, as well as the freshmen, Nance and Greer and Miller Cop would maybe um, integrate a little bit better, but uh, hasn't really been the case. And uh, now with Vic Law out, well, we'll see how long he's out for. But um, but he didn't play on Sunday. Uh, and then there's Providence. Um, the Friars were off most of the week until Saturday. They played uh, Georgetown. Actually looked very good at the beginning of the game. First 15 minutes, their offense looked really smooth. Georgetown was making it very comfortable on Providence. Um, 
Providence had an 11-point lead. They blew most of that lead in the first half, but really this game is about the end of the game. Um, the Friars uh, took like a, a nice little lead with about two minutes to go. Let me see if I can get the exact number. Uh, they were up 68-63 with a little under three minutes to go. And then they um, they didn't score in consecutive possessions. And, and actually, Georgetown tied it up. And they actually took the lead. Um, but then Providence went up. And they were up, uh, seven, they were up by three uh, with three and a half, four seconds left. Um, Georgetown had to take the ball length of the court. They got it into Mac McClung, the YouTube superstar who was back from injury and hadn't really played well the whole game. Um, and he, he banked in a 30-footer. Uh, after the game, Ed Cooley said he was he had wanted them to foul, but they didn't get the opportunity or, or something like that. Uh, it didn't really look like anyone was trying to foul on the play. Uh, Makai Ashenlenker was kind of close to him, um, but he didn't really seem to want to foul. And, and again, my, my perspective is I don't care. Don't foul. That's fine. Uh, and then this play was just unlucky. He banks in a three. Overtime comes. Georgia takes the early lead in overtime, but then, you know, Providence um, hit two three-pointers in the final minute to go up by four. Um, with about 20 seconds left. Makai Ashton Lankford is called for fouling. James Akinjo, the other freshman guard in the backcourt for Georgetown, looked like maybe a phantom call. At the time, I didn't think much. I mean, you know, it's, it's a big call, but you're like, oh, you'll probably win the game anyway. But it didn't look like there was a clear foul, and the referee didn't have a really good angle on it. But he called it. Akinjo made all three free throws, making it a one-point game. Providence, who have been struggling from the foul line all season, they made their two free throws, uh, and they hit like 12 or 14 in a row down the stretch. So again, it's a three-point game, this time with maybe 13 seconds left. And again, the talk on the broadcast and on Twitter is, do they foul, do they foul? And again, I'm fine with not fouling. But what I'm not fine with is like totally not guarding the three-point line. <laughs> you got to do um, one or the other. <laughs> so Akinjo, the freshman guard, he's, he's quite good. I mean, Akinjo and, and McClung... Uh, Georgetown's big problem last year is they had terrible guard play. So these guys have gotten them passable guard play, especially for freshmen. They take a, a lot of possessions on their own. They're not all that efficient, but they soak them up in a way that the guys last year couldn't. And Jesse Govan is their other guy who was a really, really solid player down low. He had 30-something points in this game. So they have those three guys. That's most of their shots. So um, Govan and I think it was Jamarco Pickett, who's a, like a forward for them, were setting a double, like a staggered screen on Akinjo and in a confused Providence. And instead of switching the screen, which is of course what they were trying to do, uh, so Makai Ashton-Lanford got caught up on the screen and Isaiah Jackson did not rotate onto the Akinjo, who made a wide open, like maybe 24-footer. It wasn't right at the foul line, a three-point line, but it was... Um, it was wide, wide open, and um, and then the second overtime, Georgetown uh, took control fairly early and ended up winning by six. So now Providence is in dead last in the uh, in the Big Ten, Big East, um, and really looking like they're in trouble to make the NCAA tournament. We talked about this a little bit last week, but they've been in spots like this before. Maybe not this dire, but um, you know last year they were five and four and and one and two early and finished pretty strong. Most notably in 2017, they were four and eight in conference, one and four at one point, including a loss at DePaul to make them one and four. A, lo- a loss in a game that they led. Um, <laughs> they led that game by nine points with a minute uh, 50 to go, and they lost in regulation. Sounds like um, Memphis, Kansas. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, and and uh, and they actually so they were one and four and four and eight that year ended up winning their final six games in the next season and going to the NCAA tournament as a play-in game team. They were 7-8 and eight in uh, 2016 before winning their final three in their first Big Ten tournament game. 
Um, 2015, they were kind of more normal. They didn't have like a really bad stretch. In 2014, they were seven and seven before winning three of their last four, and then the Big East tournament. So they've been in worse spots before. Oh, sorry, they've been in bad spots before. Um, but again, the Big East this year is not as strong. There's not as many opportunities to knock off and get scalps. Um, DePaul looks a little stronger than they have been. They had a chance for a road win against the, another um, kind of lower half team in Georgetown. They didn't get it. And so now here we are with uh, Providence, the only winless team in the Big East, uh, with Seton Hall and Marquette, uh, home against Seton Hall and then at Marquette coming up this week. So, so one thing I do want to just talk, it's a very agnostic, Brendan, but do you know how many double overtime games they've played under Ed Cooley? Uh, seven. Six, good guess. It seems like a lot, right? Yeah, let's take a look. The Georgetown game we have here, I see. We just talked about that one. I can go back. I, no, I have the whole list. They, they played three straight games in overtime in the Big East tournament last year, single yeah. overtime each, which was uh, maybe the first time ever that's ever happened, where a team played every at least three in every game in the tournament in overtime. At Marquette, oh man, I remember that one. <laughs> Wednesday, February 10th. 2016 i was on a flight from chicago to san francisco and i was trying to get like the audio for the game and um this was chris dunn's last season and it was a wacko game uh another game where providence uh was i guess in most close games of this you're going to be at a point where you think you're going to win the game late um but yeah they lost that game um how many I feel like uh, Ben Bentel had 42 points in that game. If you re- remember Ben Bentel, um, there's I a do. rap song about him. Uh, if, if you if you look, you can find. It. If you look for the Ben Bentel rap song, you can, uh, <laughs> you can find that. Um, 2015, no overtime games. 2014, two overtime game at home against Seton Hall. That was New Year's Eve. That that did not start my New Year's Eve off well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, at St. John's, you and I watched that game together at a pub uh, at Jack Jack Dempsey's. Is that what it's called? No, it's Jake's Saloon on 23rd Street. Uh, and you and uh, our friend Dan were like tr- talking about all the songs on the on the, the jukebox and, and we did not take the hint. The game. Yeah, and, yeah and Dan's a Providence Cotton. fan. Yeah, Bryce Cotton uh, t- had a big tie up late in the game and they ended up winning. Uh, home against Villanova, two overtime game. I remember, um, I think that game, Chris Dunn might have gotten like a, um, no, Chris Dunn, did he play that game? But they lost by three in double overtime to Ryan Archidiacono. And yeah, um, Chris Dunn did not play that game. He was injured by then. I guess he didn't play that whole season. I'm trying to think of what I'm thinking of, but it wasn't Chris Dunn. Let's put it that way. And then also <laughs> that, oh, crazy game at Marquette, Tuesday, March 4th, 2014. This game, um, Providence... Uh, I think it was tied late, and they inbound the ball to Devontae Gardner. Do you remember Devontae Gardner? He was like a big, yes. rotund, uh, kind of pat, like like uh, take Draymond Green, remove the, the athletic ability, and add like 40 pounds, and you basically have Devontae Gardner. <laughs> um, and so they, so Providence tied the game late. I believe Josh Fortune was fouled in the three, and he made all, and he made the three and the free throw. Um, and then. They inbound the ball to Vontae Gardner, who made like a 75-foot shot at the buzzer to win the game, except he it left his hand just a, a beat too late. And then Providence ended up winning in double overtime, um, 81-80. And when a game I thought was going to almost get him in the NCAA tournament. And um, uh, anyway, uh, Bryce Cotton had 25 points. Todd Mayo, who went pro after that season, had uh, had 26. From anyway. All I asked you was, did it seem like a lot of double overtime games? But now we went through yeah. all of them, so that's good. And we've now mentioned cotton in the anniversary sense and the Providence sense, so we're doing good. Yeah, double cotton. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Two cottons, wow. Um, <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, yeah. What do we have left? We, we, uh, we don't have any emails this week, um, so email us at uh, doublebonuspod at uh, gmail.com. Um, 
let's move on to uh, looking ahead at some games. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have a, a little under-the-radar game you're intrigued with. Very under-the-radar relative to my games. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, I, this game I started to think maybe a little under, under the radar for the right reason after re-looking at Furman's resume. But uh, Furman against Wofford on Saturday, uh, our friends at the double at the uh, Iron College Basketball Podcast seem to think the Southern Conference can get two teams in the uh, NCAA tournament this year. Obviously, um, Wofford is good, but is Furman that good after their uh, big early wins? Uh, this year, I'm not sure. These two teams will play. And again, this game is in Wofford, so it's going to be a little bit trickier uh, for Furman. Furman remember, beat Villanova and Loyola Chicago. Um, the Loyola Chicago win looks a little better now because I think Loyola Chicago beat Illinois State on Saturday. Um, but yeah, it's two two teams. It should be a pretty close game. The Southern Conference doesn't get a lot of love on the show. And now we've talked more about the Southern Conference on this podcast than we have talked about the unmentionable conference so we took care of that uh Furman this year after those wins has had some bad losses they lost to UNC Greensboro they lost to East Tennessee State and LSU uh back in December so it's a uh, nine point spread in Ken Palm but Wofford is really good and I think Wofford can be a dangerous team uh coming into the tournament time so this will be a decent test for them uh they've won five straight their losses have been to Carolina Oklahoma Kansas and Mississippi State. So that's a pretty good... If you want, like, four good losses, those are pretty four good losses. So uh, get your look at Wofford and see how they're going to be under Mike Young uh, as they try to go through the Southern Conference. Yeah, Wofford... Um, Wofford started the season playing North Carolina, as you mentioned, and they're led by uh, Fletcher McGee, who has one of the highest three-point shooting make seasons in, um, in college basketball history. Um, that was last year when he made 136. I believe the record is like 160 something. We mentioned Antoine Davis last week of Detroit, who is uh, maybe challenging that record. Actually, now that we're talking about Antoine Davis, let's see how he did this week if he's still uh, maybe challenging it. He they played uh, Wisconsin Green Bay and won by 18, and they played Milwaukee, Wisconsin Milwaukee, and won by nine. Um, and against Green Bay, he had four three pointers. Although his teammate Josh McFally had six. And then against um, Milwaukee, he had five three-pointers. So uh, Antoine Davis now has 90 three-pointers in 18 games. He needs, I think, 77 more, and they have uh, 12 games plus the conference tournament. Maybe they might have 16 games left if they're really lucky, which would be like five and a half per game. That seems like a stretch, but um, no, it'd be like four per game. I guess it's doable. Anyway, um, Wofford's good. Uh, Furman not as impressed with. Uh, I actually like East Tennessee State. I mean, the, the Southern Conference has four good teams. The, the worst part is that Wofford doesn't play. Um, sorry, oh, that uh, East Tennessee State doesn't play uh, at Wofford this year, which is uh, just kind of a bummer. Um, that that t- matchup only happens once. We do get Furman versus Wofford, and if Furman is going to make a case to go to the NCAA tournament as an at-large team, which I don't think will happen. I think they'll end up taking several more losses. Uh, A win at Wofford is certainly a way to get yourself back on the bubble. Yeah. And what game are you looking at that's under the radar? By the way, my runner-up in this category was Virginia Tech-Virginia, because Virginia Tech's played nobody, but they're still 7th in Ken Palm, so that can be a good test for them uh, and and for Virginia before they go to Duke. Yeah, it's a big week for Virginia. Um, 
uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech. That Virginia Tech Virginia game is interesting because it's a big contrast in styles in terms of, um, well, Virginia Tech actually plays pretty slow, um, relatively slow for a team that shoots a lot of threes. Uh, generally, those kind of teams play a little bit faster. But, um, yeah, you, you might see only like 120 points in that game, even with two of the best offenses in the country. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the games of the week. Uh, I know that you weren't a fan of the uh, the fan match rating, the thrill score rating on uh, on. Um, we have the number Ken two Palm. team. Yeah, we have the number two team. Not to call it Ken Palm. Uh, I just I guess it's because they play so slow. But you have the number two team in the country and the number seven team in the country. Now I guess it's at Virginia, so it's at the better team, so that spreads it out a little bit. But this game, I feel like it should be higher than. I'm much more excited about this game than Florida Mississippi State. I'm sorry. Like you have two top ten teams, and that's a lower thrill score than the twenty fourth team and the twenty seventh team. Yeah, I think it's the closeness of the game, especially. I think that's probably the big difference. And, the, and what about but the yeah, pace? Think, Does the pace count? Yeah, the, he definitely takes into account pace as like the excitement factor. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I have you know Nebraska is my team. It's a team that I picked to underachieve their uh, fourth place um, selection in uh, the Big Ten media poll. Um, but they looked really strong most of the season. They had a close loss to uh, Clemson on the road in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, they were blowing out most of their opponents. They um, uh, they had a tough loss on the road to Minnesota in conference play in that early kind of conference window. But they blew out Creighton. They blew out Oklahoma State. They blew out Seton Hall. And these are all pretty good teams. Um, and then they started off 0-2 in conference with uh, a couple tough losses at Maryland and Iowa. And um, and then since then, and I guess uh, their game actually, well, I guess we can preview the Michigan State game because uh, I see in Kempon that the wanna... Indiana game's already over. <laughs> uh, yes. Do you want to know the so, score? <laughs> yes. Uh, so Penn State, uh, they beat Penn State at home, and they didn't look that great doing it. And now they've just gone to Indiana and won by 15. Um, so I'm, I'm going to um, go to our tracking and, and remove that game Um but it looks like we, yeah, I'm going to remove that game because it's already finished. Good idea. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll start our picks with Kansas, Texas. But that was a game I was, I was intrigued by. Uh, it was Nebraska, Indiana. Nebraska winning by 15 is, is very intriguing. And now they are the team that could knock off uh, Michigan State, giving them their first conference loss uh, to a team other than Michigan um, since it would be their first conference loss to a team other than Michigan since January 7th of last year when they lost at Ohio State. So that's a big game. That's my, so my game is it's Thursday night. It's it's at Nebraska, and you have a, a Nebraska team um, that is very good on defense uh, but and also very thin uh, against a Michigan State team that uh, is somewhat deeper um, and you know, maybe is the best offense that uh, Nebraska's played all year. They they played Texas Tech, obviously, is a very good team, a very good team on defense, but they haven't really played an elite offense. Iowa has a good offense, maybe a very good offense. Um, but I think this Michigan State team uh, has a better offense than Iowa, and I, I'm intrigued by whether Nebraska can get back into, I wouldn't say maybe the conference race, um, but at the very least, maybe for third place in the conference. Right now they're picked to go um, – 12 and 8, which which puts them in a four-way tie for third with Maryland, Wisconsin, and Purdue. Um, so those four teams, that looks like a pretty uh, that's like a pretty fair second tier in the in the Big Ten. And I I think those four teams, the one that can knock off Michigan, Michigan State once or twice and knock off each other, is the one that's going to finish third. So uh, Nebraska, just you know, if you those of you don't know much about them, um, they again are very thin, 345th 
most bench minutes, which is like the uh, 10th fewest bench minutes in the country. Uh, but they returned most of their guys from last year, a team that was highly rated in Ken Palm, didn't give them any quality wins in, in a mediocre Big Ten. James Palmer is their stud. He's 6'6", uh, swing, um, swing guy, you know, a wing. Huge possessions in terms of the number that he eats up uh, for Nebraska. Um, he's actually only sixth in the Big Ten in possessions in conference play, but uh, but he takes up a lot of them. It's just a, a team that has, conference has a lot of high possession guys. Um, they have Glenn Watson, who's their point guard. Um, you know, very efficient. Their whole starting lineup is efficient. They don't have much depth though, and so. Uh, if guys get hurt um, or if guys get in foul trouble, they could be in trouble. And Michigan State's a team that does draw uh, their share of fouls. Um, the Spartans are, um, well, they're only one, one, one 12th in free throws uh, attempted per field goal attempt. But I know against Northwestern, at least, they pretty much got the entire front line in foul trouble in the first 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, four of their guys tonight played 34-plus minutes, and one of them fouled out. Isaac Copeland. But Glenn Watson played to play 37. Thomas Allen played 36. Palmer played 35. And Copeland 34. So really, they only got looks like 33 minutes from their bench out of 200. So that's about what you said. So we'll see how that goes. Their next game is Thursday, so they don't have that much time uh, in between. Um, but um, and that also could hurt them in the conference tournament when you have to play back-to-back days. So we'll mm-hmm. see. But they have it's a yeah, pretty Isaac Copeland win for them to go into Assembly Hall and throttle Indiana and keep them to 0.8 points per possession yeah. on a really bad shooting night for the Hoosiers. Yeah, Isaac Copeland's a guy who, when he was a freshman, I believe he was all Big Ten, a Big East freshman at Georgetown. And then, you know, seven games into his junior season, he decides to up and transfer, um, got that full year of eligibility back uh, in what was uh, John Thompson's last season, kind of a sign of the of the end times for him, um, and has kind of immediately fit in at Nebraska, uh, not as, as like, you know, a, a, a moderate usage guy who's pretty efficient and long on the wing. Um, and those are the kind of guys that can turn Nebraska from like a, an NIT team into like a potentially second weekend team in the in the NCAA tournament. Um, but it, it'll be matchups and it'll be uh, keeping guys healthy and out of foul trouble. That'll probably determine where Nebraska goes from here. Um, so let's move on to our picks. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, yeah, Monday, yeah, we've got Mar- uh, Kansas, Texas, and we have Maryland, Wisconsin. So Kansas is an eight-point favorite at home against Texas, and Maryland is a two-point favorite at home against Wisconsin. Yeah, I like Texas because Kansas, as I said, against Baylor, they almost gave back a 23-point lead. They gave back a 18-22 start. Uh, I like Texas to cover at Allen Fieldhouse. Texas has some big wins this year against Carolina. They're up and down. I think they can keep this game close. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Texas as well. Um, they seem to be playing their best basketball right now. I know that they lost Texas Tech, but um, you know they were very inconsistent early, but now they're fully healthy. Uh, and Jackson Hayes has become one of the breakout stars in college basketball. At center, he's super efficient, really athletic. A former um, football player for most of his career uh, or high school career, um, but then he grew uh, enormously late in his uh, high school career. Um, and now they also have Kerwin Roach back and healthy, and he's their best player. Um, he shows up a lot of possessions. The defense has been really strong this year. The offense has been inconsistent, but they still almost scored a point per possession against Texas Tech. Uh, Kansas has a very good defense as well, um, but I do think Texas Tech can keep this within the eight-point margin that we have at Ken Palm. Uh, in terms of the other game, um, which is Maryland, uh, I don't, I don't know. Maryland at home against Wisconsin. I, I watched the Wisconsin-Purdue game, which was a close overtime win for Purdue. 
Uh, Ethan Happ was great. Uh, Demetric Trice was pretty good. Brad Davison was really good. And yet uh, Purdue still won. It was... Um, you figure the way that it seemed like Wisconsin was playing that they should be should have beaten Purdue, but yet uh, Purdue pulled it out. Um, I am going to take Wisconsin over Maryland, and we have a couple of Maryland games this week. Uh, and I know that Maryland is playing much better basketball of late. They've won five straight, uh, four in conference, plus a home win over Radford, which is actually a pretty solid team since they lost at home to Seton Hall. Um, but I think I'm going to pick against um, Mark Turge in both games this week that he's facing. I don't know if Greg Gard is that great a coach, but I feel like Wisconsin is a very well-coached team. Um, I think they're going to lose at home to Wisconsin right about now. The game's probably going on right now, and then uh, they're going to lose on the road to Ohio State on Friday. Uh, it's a little a little preview for picks that are coming up, but um, but yeah. On Tuesday, the only game we have is a 6.30 start. The Friars come back to Providence. Um to play Seton Hall, uh, Seton Hall team coming off a loss by four on the road to Marquette Providence, of course, because of that overtime, double overtime loss to Georgetown. Uh, what do you think about this matchup? I am picking Providence. By the way, I picked Maryland against Wisconsin. Thanks for asking. Uh, Bruno Fernando yeah. was awesome on Friday. Uh, I think he'll carry it over. Yeah, um, I watched that game too. That was a good game. That was a good game. Yeah, that was a good game. Uh, <laughs> Providence. I forget who they played, but they played someone, and it was oh, they played Indiana. That was a good game. Yeah. 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 Uh, Providence, you know, I'm going to go Providence. I think their back's against the wall. They're at home. Uh, they're, you know, sometimes right before you get a big win, or when you need, you have a really excruciating loss. And I think that was, we saw some signs of that for Providence who played, I know they played poorly down the stretch, but they did play well for large stretches at Georgetown. So, um, give me them against Seton Hall and basically a pick them. Yeah, the first four games that Providence had this year have all been kind of toss-up games, um, and they've lost all three so far. Um, Seton Hall seems to give Providence trouble. I mean, I know that the guys that they give them trouble in the past, like um, uh, Kadeen Carrington especially, and also um, Angel Delgado. Uh, well, Angel Delgado, I mean, it's more with Desi Rodriguez that gave him trouble, but those guys are gone. Miles Powell, it's basically as Miles Powell goes. Um, you know, he's such a big part of that offense, uh, and he plays a lot of minutes. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I, I think Seton Hall is a strange team. They have, they have a lot of good wins. They already have three A wins. Um, neutral against Kentucky, at Maryland, and at Xavier. And uh, they also beat Butler at home, um, St. John's at home, and Miami and on neutral. So they have six pretty good quality wins this year. Uh, and yet, they don't feel like that good a team to me. Um, but yet, I'm still going with Seton Hall. Providence has struggled with them in the past. You know... They're just not very good right now until they get A.J. Reeves back. They're not enough answers, and so we talk about Providence enough. Let's move on. Um, pick <laughs> um, next up, we have uh, Thursday. Actually, Wednesday is a strangely dead day for uh, for good games. This is actually not a good week of, of games, uh, to be honest. That was the last week. I feel like there was a lot more good games last week. But um, Thursday night, we have a couple of Big Ten matchups. Ohio State is favored by three at home against Maryland, and Rutgers favored by one at home against Northwestern. I mentioned already I'm picking Ohio State in that game. Uh, for Chris Holtman's team has not been as good of late, um, but I am picking them to, um, to bounce back. Um, they, of course, lost at Rutgers and at Iowa in the last week. 
after losing at home to Michigan State. So they're uh, we went from 2-0 and to 2-3 and in conference, but I think they're going to bounce back against Maryland. And I am taking Rutgers to defeat uh, Northwestern. Uh, we'll see this as a Vic Law, but Rutgers' defense is really strong, and Northwestern's offense is not. It's like strength versus weakness there. Um, it should be a low-scoring, ugly game that you don't want to watch, but um, maybe I will anyway. Northwestern, I'm going to take them to lose to Rutgers. Yeah, I like Maryland against Ohio State as well. I'm in on Maryland in both games this week. This could decide who wins the week in the picks. There are two Maryland games. Uh, Ohio State's yeah. suffered Maryland a bit of... Maryland, my Maryland. Yeah. Maryland, your Maryland. <laughs> yeah, my Maryland. Yeah. Uh, they've suffered a bit of a correction since they started, I guess, 12-1. and Lost three straight, as you said. Um, they've played two of their toughest games in Michigan State and Iowa, and then they sandwiched those around a loss uh, at Rutgers for good measure, a good win for Rutgers at home. Uh, so, yeah, Chris Holman's obviously... Um, team got off to a really good start, but since then they've uh, struggled a little bit. So... We'll see. This will be interesting. How it is telling. This will be their first game in almost a week after their Iowa loss. So we'll see how they handle it. Uh, but I'd be a little worried about Ohio State right now, just because losing streaks can tend to snowball. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not confident in my Ohio State pick, but I'm going with the coach in that one. Um, Saturday, a pretty good slate of games. We got five games. Uh, we'll take them in chunks, I guess. Um, I, t- I put them in order of when they're being played, so you can kind of schedule your day. First, Michigan, a one-point favorite on the road against Wisconsin. If Virginia um, beats Virginia Tech, this could uh, tomorrow. This could be the day that we have. Um, uh, Michigan could be the last undefeated if they can beat Wisconsin. Virginia loses to Duke. There's a lot of ifs there, but Michigan favored by one at Wisconsin, and then we'll also throw at you uh, Kansas favored by six at West Virginia. Yeah, I actually like Kansas against West Virginia. West Virginia's been so bad this year. Kansas had struggled in that arena against Huggins and their press, but they're just not the same team this year. I think Kansas, which is a, their their turnover problems, have been hit or miss, but I think they'll be okay in this game. And I think Deidre Lawson's a good matchup against West Virginia, so I like uh, Kansas in that game. Uh, Michigan, I'm not going to pick against them until they lose every pretty much every game they've played this year. They've impressed, uh, so I'm going to take them over Wisconsin. And then, uh, do we talk about Auburn, Kentucky yet, or not yet? No, so the next three together. Um, the Auburn for, here by four at home against Kentucky. That's in the mid afternoon. At six p.m. is Duke, Virginia. Duke favored by four against Virginia, and then another Big Twelve game. Texas favored by two at home against Oklahoma. Yeah, um, I think Duke will win against Virginia at home. I think it'll be a very exciting game. Um, this is the first of the week where. The friends at ESPN do their NBA games after the college basketball lead-in, so it's a nice. They get the game on at 6 o'clock, get that to lead into their NBA primetime game. Six is so good. Six is good. Six is good, yeah. And I yeah. think Duke will win this game. Uh, and But we'll see. This could be very well um, – this, this or this could be a surprise for Virginia where they come in and then really lay the marker down because we haven't talked about this, but Duke's lead in the adjusted efficiency margin on Ken Palm has gone from about four points to one point. So Virginia has mm-hmm. obviously done a lot of uh, – done a lot of work recently so this game is gonna be very close but i think duke will win that game and then uh yeah i like auburn against kentucky too i don't kentucky had a very underwhelming game i watched some of against vanderbilt they were down early rallied to win but vanderbilt stinks so i don't trust them to go on the road at auburn i think i mostly agree with you um i'm taking michigan over wisconsin um I mean, you never know, but Michigan's been pretty consistent this year, and Wisconsin is flawed, albeit still good. Um, taking West Virginia um, to cover the six points is the one we disagree, disagree with there um, uh, in Morgantown. West Virginia's actually played 
pretty well. Well, I've seen some results of theirs that have been pretty solid. Um, they played Texas Tech close. Um, they played Kansas State close on the road, lost by two. Um, and but they did lose by eight to Oklahoma State at home. So um, they are they are winless in the Big Twelve. The um, we'll call them the Providence of the Big Twelve, the only winless team in the conference. Um, and uh, so I'll go with Virginia to to not win, but to cover the six points. I like Auburn as well. Uh, I do like Duke. Um, I think even in a four-point spread, you got to pick the winner. Uh, with a team like Duke that can score like they can, uh, I'm not going to pick Virginia to cover the four-point spread and and lose. You got to pick them to win straight up. But I will, I do think Duke's going to win the game. Um, I just think Duke's a better team, and they're at home. It's, I mean, I, I still like Virginia, Virginia a lot, and they're pretty close to Duke. They've clearly um, you know, I think you had them picked second in your top 25 a couple weeks ago. That looks right. They are the team closest to Duke, and maybe even on the same tier as Duke, but um, but on the road, I'll go with the Blue Devils. Um, and then the last two games, we have Texas-Oklahoma. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas twice this week. We'll see how that works out for me. Shaka Smart's teams have never been consistent, so the fact, the idea they're going to play two good games this week, good enough to cover against Kansas and Oklahoma, doesn't really feel right. But rather than pick them one in one or the other and lose both, <laughs> pick them in both and figure out I'll win one. Um, and then Marquette hosts Providence, a nine-point spread. Um, Providence had had uh, terrible luck or terrible performances at Marquette had never won there but now they've won two straight very close games the last two years um, this Marquette team is better uh, they uh, have a better defensive team they're more well-rounded and this province team appears to be worse um, and so I, I think that this is the kind of game that might be close for a while and Marquette falls away or it could be the game where Marquette has a knockout punch in the first 10 minutes lose, win, is winning by 15 and kind of just like keeps it in that eight to 15 point margin uh, for the rest of the game. What your last two picks? I think I didn't get your Oklahoma, Texas pick and your Marquette Providence pick. I'll take Oklahoma with their defense, which has looked pretty good in the big 12 season so far. They had the big win over TCU uh, on Saturday and then Marquette I'll take against Providence though. Don't look past another double overtime game. These teams have played two of them last few years. So yeah, they, they split them. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. but Oh man, I need uh, I need a win. I need a win tomorrow night, yeah. uh, Tom. I really do. Yeah. It, it's it's better for the podcast because I'll watch more games, and it's better yeah. for my psyche. My um, it's it, better for everybody. Teresa, yeah, my wife was uh, was so stressed out watching the game with me, and and the thing about it, it, it looked like they were gonna win on so many times. She was like relieved, like oh, well they're gonna Thank win, God. and yeah. it's been very intense, and they and it's like yeah, and then. The shot goes in, and you can't believe it. And then, uh, it was, um, I, you know, I, I'm definitely more vociferous when someone's in the room with me because I want to kind of bring them into the, into the moment. I'm not sure if you're like that as well. Um, when I'm by myself, I, I will sometimes cheer, but I'm usually not saying negative. I'm just very quiet and sullen. Um, but then when someone's with me, I'm always kind of talking about the game out loud, to, even if they're not really paying attention that much, which uh, she was not. She was um, uh, planning a party for her sister so but, i'm the opposite anyway. i i i'm much louder when no one's here when i'm someone's with me i just kind of i sometimes make comments very quickly like you gotta get him out of the game or could you get a rebound or that's not good but i'm much quieter when someone's there because i don't want to seem like a lunatic so yeah i uh i was kind of a i was kind of a lunatic but then right after the game i was supposed to have a conversation with a friend of mine uh our friend cliff uh, we hadn't talked in a while, and we scheduled it for 2.15 because I wanted to be right after the game, give it some buffer, and yeah. then it went in double overtime. And I texted him at 2.14, and I said, hey, the game's in overtime. 
15 seconds left. And at that point, Providence led by three or four or whatever it was. I think it was three. And um, thinking, okay, I'll call him in a minute and it'll be good. And the three-pointer went in and went double overtime. I texted him, I had double overtime. I'll call you in a few minutes. And then afterwards, he said, how'd the game go? And I said, well, it was one of the 10 worst defeats in the history of me watching Providence College basketball. But let's move on. And so we've talked for 90 minutes about everything except for uh, basketball. That's good. Unlike us, we've talked for 90 minutes about everything but only basketball, except yeah. for a certain conference that was only Which we did pretty once. good. I think we only got one mention. We made a couple mentions to the unmentionable conference, but I think we did a pretty good job overall. I'll give us, I'll give ourselves a B plus. Yeah, I don't like to mention my unmentionables, but I did do it. Uh, <laughs> that's a Bill Raftery thing. Does he, he sometimes says unmentionables, right? At some I think point? so, yes. I think he does. Wait, yeah. wait. He has that lingerie line, so I'll sometimes just say unmentionables. Anyway, yeah. Um, I'll let you get back to your to the Kansas game, and I'm going to get back to uh, to waiting for tomorrow night's Providence Seton Hall game. Uh, and then I'll get let the fans get back to rooting for their favorite teams before they come back to us next uh, week. Uh, again, Double bonus pod on Twitter and the various other platforms. Subscribe, rate, review, email, tweet us um, if you like us. And if you don't, tweet us still, um, and then we'll block you. And then we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, Tom, you got another uh, trip coming this weekend, right? Yeah, going mm-hmm. to the middle of the country and the worst airport nice. in America. So I'll let our listeners worst figure out what city that is, and maybe we'll reveal it next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do a little research, send in your answers, email them, or tweet them to us. And if you are correct, you will win a prize. Yes. All right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later, Tom. Enjoy your week. And uh, yeah, go go to Fires and go Jayhawks. And pay to both. Thank you.